Hello and welcome to another edition of Nothing But Airtime. I am your host, Cole Rains. Welcome to the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. What a show we have this week. Getting into some prices right action. I'm going to put my Bob Barker hat on, RIP. Get into some prices right with some of the NBA trade rumors. Always start off with the round ball recap, however, and then we'll get into some MLB changes that need to be made post-lockout, fictional basketball debates, hump day hoopers, and because we have been a little bit more on the sour side, we're going to contradict our typical hater Wednesday. We have Wednesday W's. We're going to recognize some of the top moments of this past week, and all of this is brought to you by BetUS. BetUS is an A-rated sportsbook, and if you have some New Year's itch to win some money, go to betus.com.pa. Enter my promo code AIRTIME, that's A-I-R-T-I-M-E. You will get a 100% bonus to gamble on casino games, horse racing, or just good old-fashioned sports gambling. It's been our preferred sportsbook here at Nothing But Airtime for quite some time. Should be yours as well. So go to betus.com.pa. Go get started. Big show for us on the Nothing But Net channel. Let's go. Welcome back to the round ball recap for week two of 2022. And we start with the man who jumped on it to get the Western Conference Player of the Week. We are talking about Sir Mixed Jalot of the Memphis Grizzlies. And he liked big plays and he cannot lie. The other brothers can't deny that when a guy drives in with that weak stuff and a round thing near the rim, it gets stuffed with two hands. That's right, Sir Mixed Jalot, Western Conference Player of the Week. And on the East Coast, Fred Van Skeet won the best player of the week as he shot efficiently all over his opponent's backs. The team of the week to watch, Sir Mix Jalot, was walking in Memphis as he led those Jizzlies to finish on top for nine in a row. How about them boys that turned to men for Sixers? Motown Philly is back again, folks, as the 76ers won seven in a row this week. And do not think I forgot about those Toronto Claptors as Fred Van Skeet and company have been blowing out Eastern Conference teams' backs as they have won seven in a row heading into Tuesday night. That rounds out this week's very horny edition of the Round Ball Recap, and it is time to get back to regular scheduled programming. Welcome to Nothing But Airtime's rendition of The Price is Right, where we are given potential fan trades for NBA teams and players and trade rumors, and host, that's me, Coley Barker, is going to tell you if the trade is a jackpot, or as Happy Gilmore once said, the price is wrong, and a word I cannot say on the radio. So let's get into it. The price is right. Nothing but airtime edition. First up on this NBA trade deadline, trade rumor, price is right extravaganza we got going. Jalen Brown, and I have four teams, Atlanta Hawks, Philadelphia 76ers, Sacramento Kings, and the Indiana Pacers. Come on down! Play the prices right. For our first bid on Jalen Brown, it comes from the Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks have offered DeAndre Hunter, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Cam Reddish, and a protected first for Jalen Brown and Romeo Langford. If I am Coley Stevens, the GM of the Boston Celtics, and not Coley Barker, host of Nothing But Airtime's Price is Right, I would need John Collins in this deal. I need John Collins in this deal. Bogdan Bogdanovich is a nice piece. He almost got Dante DiVincenzo in a trade when he was Going from the Kings to the Bucks, that got renexed. Got a lot of money from the Hawks, but he's missed some time. Cam Reddish is too much of a wild card for me. He's 25 one, one night, two points, and giving up 30 the next. I don't know what I'm getting with him. DeAndre Hunter is becoming day-to-day DeAndre. And yeah, is this awesome for the Hawks? Absolutely. Jalen Brown, Trey Young, John Collins, Clint Capella, that team is a Eastern Conference contender, to say the least. But... The Celtics aren't taking this deal. I would not take the deal if I was a Celtics. Hence the burp, 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 burp. 
They're going to recoup some nice youth. But that's not a playoff core around Jason Tatum. It's not. Bogdanovich, Hunter, Reddish, Smart, Schroeder, Tatum, Robert Williams, Allie Horford. That's looking at some sort of a play-in, maybe a 6-7 to seven seed if Tatum takes a leap. I just don't think it's enough. So that is a no on the Jalen Brown for Bogdan Bogdanovich, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, and a protected first. Next up on the bidding list, the Philadelphia 76ers are offering Ben Simmons and Shake Milton for Jalen Brown and Romeo Langford. What does Coley Barker have to say about that one? I have been on this show. I have been on Twitter arguing that the Boston Celtics need a pass-first point guard. Whether it be Lonzo Ball, whether it was Chris Paul, whether it was Drew Holiday, I've been adamant. Why? Jason Tatum needs a player to put the ball in his hands at effective spots. He's just a 38% catch-and-shooter this year. Simmons takes a lot of attention off of Tatum and is just going to create better opportunities for him. He could be the inside-out offensive playmaker that the Celtics do need. Now, there will still be spacing issues between him and like Robert Williams or him and Marcus Smart maybe even, but... With Williams off the floor, which looking at a closing five against the Bucs who might go small with Giannis at the five, or looking at a closing five with the Heat with Bam at the five, looking at a closing five with the Nets with Durant at the five, Simmons can play that small ball center. So you don't need Robert Williams on the floor. You're looking at a closing five of somewhat of a Ben Simmons, Marcus Smart, Shake Milton, Jason Tatum, Insert fifth player here, whether it be Dennis Schroeder, maybe Al Horford. He's not a horrible floor spacer. Simmons, Smart, and Horford can be the elite defenders in that fourth quarter, too. I think this is a huge acquisition for the Boston Celtics if they can get Ben Simmons. Of course, it's going to come at a high price. Jalen Brown is going to be an all-NBA talent, I believe. But when you're looking at what both duos have done in the past, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown flared out first, second round. And Bede and Simmons have not reached the finals together. So why not change something up? The Sixers could use it. Jalen Brown is that wing defender that can shoot threes, that can play off Joel Embiid if need be. Ben Simmons is that defensive-minded playmaker that the Celtics need, that Jason Tatum needs. And then they can start maybe looking off of trade for Dennis Schroeder, maybe package a, a deal with Horford and some money to get somebody else in there. I don't know. Creates a lot of freedom with the Celtics. I think Simmons and Tatum make a lot of sense together. We shall see, but I love that deal. Next up, Sacramento Kings have come on down, and they put in their bid recently. Let's hear from them. De'Aaron Fox and Harrison Barnes for Jalen Brown and Al Horford. What say you, Coley Barker. Getting an elite point guard, all the things I just said with Ben Simmons, it's going to put the ball in Tatum's hands where he needs to be. His catch and shoot numbers will go up. He can be a playmaker down the stretch. He can look for his own shot. That's what De'Aaron Fox is going to give the Boston Celtics. Now, playing off of Tatum is not going to be the easiest. Fox isn't the best catch and shoot shooter in the world. He's not the best three point shooter in the world. But Fox can slash. He will draw double teams driving in the lane, being able to kick to guys like a Marcus Smart, an Aaron Neesmith, a Peyton Pritchard, a Jason Tatum, Al Horford maybe even picking pops. And how about the addition of Harrison Barnes too? That's nothing to scoff at. De'Aaron Fox can kick it to Harrison Barnes. You can go small with guys like Barnes and Tatum at the 4-5 and five when you're talking about Durant and Bam Adebayo. And I guess Bam's a center by trade, but he's a little bit on the undersized part of the center position. Giannis is a little bit of a unique center, I guess we could call it too, but you can go small with those guys with Tatum and Barnes at the four and five. You still have Robert Williams. You still have Romeo Langford, Aaron Neesmith, Pritchard. You're not giving up much. You're giving up Jalen Brown, Al Horford, who are two staples of the Celtics, been on the Celtics, whether it be Horford in and out with them, but I think this is a win-win for both. You get off of Horford's money, 
You get Harrison Barnes in the door, who's a good three-point shooter. You get a, a, a slashing point guard that is a, not a horrible passer. He could probably improve on some three-point shooting, which would help out the Boston Celtics even more. And then when you're looking at Sacramento side of things, it's been rumored that they want to build around Halliburton and off night, Davion Mitchell. So adding Jalen Brown to that duo, getting off of Harrison Barnes, it, it makes a lot of sense. And all it takes now is probably just a Buddy Heald trade, which there's going to be plenty of suitors. He's a great three-point shooter. So when you get off Buddy Heald, when you get off Darren Fox, when you get off Harrison Barnes, that kind of core that they are building around is pretty clear when you're looking at Tyrese Halliburton, Davion Mitchell, Jalen Brown, and Rashawn Holmes. It's the rare jackpot where the team that's looking at a rebuild gets a face of the rebuild with many other youth uh, young pieces. And the team that's in contention, or right now in mediocrity, I'll call because that's where the Celtics are, Fox and Harrison Barnes are going to help them propel out of that mediocrity, help them propel into that top six seeds, maybe hope that they don't get a play-in game. So De'Aaron Fox, Harrison Barnes for Jalen Brown, Al Horford. I love the deal. What's next? The Indiana Pacers are next. The Indiana Pacers are offering up DeMontis Sabonis and Karis LeVert for Jalen Brown and Dennis Schroeder. Let's see what the horn has to say. I don't like the deal for either one of these teams. Eh, I like the deal a little bit for the Indiana Pacers, but when you're talking about building around your future, you're looking at guys like Malcolm Brogdon. You're looking at guys like Chris Duarte. O'Shea Brissett is a big piece there. So Chris Duarte, O'Shea Brissett, Justin Holiday is a little older, but you have a lot of players at that position for the Indiana Pacers. Now, Kid Duarte and Brown Mesh, probably, but I don't know if that's exactly the position they're looking to bring in. And same for the Celtics. The addition of Sabonis is a lot of fun on paper for the Celtics. He can pass out of the big man position. He can shoot from the big man position. But, I mean, they have Robert Williams. They have Al Horford. They have Ennis Freedom, who probably is getting the boot here shortly anyway, tweeting pictures of him sitting in front of the tank. But Sabonis and Tatum kind of play that same position in similar styles. They can be very good on the ball. They can be very good from a high post situation, be very good running the floor, being the guy that runs the floor. I don't know if the styles match. Now, would the trade be entertaining? Absolutely. And Karis LeVert is entertaining too, but he's not as good of a shooter as even a De'Aaron Fox. So the play styles, you're looking at a limited spacing Outside of Sabonis and Tatum, when you're looking at Levert, probably Marcus Smart's going to be in there. And then whoever you want to replace at the three, maybe an Aaron Neesmith, maybe a Romeo Langford, Tatum maybe at the three, Sabonis at the four, Williams at the five. But that's a big lineup. That lineup can't really shoot either. So as much as fun as it would be to put Sabonis with Tatum, I don't know if it makes a lot of sense. So I'm saying no to Sabonis and Levert for Jalen Brown and Dennis Schroeder. That rounds out the price is right for Jalen Brown. Sacramento and Philly had the best bids. Philly, Ben Simmons, and Shake Milton for Jalen Brown and Romeo Lankford. Sacramento, De'Aaron Fox, and Harrison Barnes for Jalen Brown and Al Horford. No dice for the Indiana Pacers. No dice for the Atlanta Hawks. And speaking of the Atlanta Hawks, up next... Reports of a big man's frustrations due to his role. He's, his role is very unique in Atlanta. He's frustrated with his role with the Hawks. What will it cost to get John Collins on one of these three teams? So come on down, Minnesota Timberwolves. Come on down, Utah Jazz. And come on down, San Antonio Spurs. We're going to start off with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Minnesota Timberwolves are in a unique spot, similar to the Celtics, to be honest. They're right on that 9, 10, 11 range. They're striking range, a good streak away, get healthy, maybe get another foot in the door. Probably a John Collins. You're looking at their lineup. They have D'Angelo Russell, Pat Bev, Anthony Edwards, Jalen Noel, that's a pretty crowded guard room when you're looking at the bigs, Jared Vanderbilt, Nas Reed, Carl Anthony Towns. You could probably get another big man in the door. Why not John Collins? Why not trade Malik Beasley, Torian Prince, and two protected firsts? What say you, Mr. Coley Barker? Mm-hmm. 
Malik Beasley and Torian Prince do not move the needle at all for the Atlanta Hawks. It actually probably makes the depth chart that much more crowded. You're looking at a depth chart that includes the likes of Lou Will, Kevin Herter, Bogdan Bogdanovich, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, Timothy Lau, Cabarro. I believe I pronounced that right. Those guys are all on the depth chart for the Hawks right now. Those are the rotation at the wing. So bringing in Malik Beasley, bringing in Torian Prince is not going to help sort that out that much more. And those two protective firsts, you're just not going to be good. You're looking at bringing in an impact player like Collins that are going to probably make the Timberwolves outside of the top 15 picks in the draft. So no, no, I would not do that if I was the Atlanta Hawks. That's a poor deal. And as, as fun as Malik Beasley could be near Trey Young, because Malik Beasley does kind of play that microwave role, unless you're getting Jalen Brown for that deal that was talked about in the Jalen Brown segment, I don't think this is good for anybody. Uh, for, the, uh, for the Hawks, excuse me. Uh, it's pretty good for the Timberwolves. Very good for the Timberwolves. Pairing John Collins and Carl Anthony Towns defensively might have uh, some fits, but offensively, that's probably one of the best big men pairing in the NBA. So it's a no for Malik Beasley, Torian Prince, and two protective first for John Collins. As fun as it may be to put John Collins on the Timberwolves, I don't think they have enough for that deal. How about the Utah Jazz? They came to bid. They came to the bid table with this. Bohan Bogdanovich, Royce O'Neal, and last year's draft pick Elijah Hughes, along with two future protected firsts for John Collins and Gorgie Dang. What say you, Mr. Horn? Just another bad deal. Yuck. And as much as the Jazz would love a John Collins, give them a small ball center, a number two scorer, a lob threat for Donovan Mitchell, a fast break forward that can run with them. Defensively, he can give some switch, space the floor, take the pressure off Rudy Gobert. They don't have enough to pull this deal off. The Hawks don't want Royce O'Neal and Bohan Bogdanovich, and those guys are fine players. And those picks are bad too. And, and, and those power forward positions would be filled by both those guys. And Bohan Bogdanovich and Royce O'Neal are not playing at the caliber or replacing what John Collins brought to the Hawks. And granted, is John Collins' role frustrating with the Hawks? Yes. And Bohan Bogdanovich, Royce O'Neal wouldn't have to get as much usage as a, a John Collins. But it makes them a worse team. And I hate the move, and that's why it's a no. So Bohan Bogdanovich, Royce O'Neal, and Elijah Hughes with a long two future protected firsts for John Collins and Gorgie Dang. That's a no for me, buddy. Next up is the Spurs. And while we wait for old knees Mr. Greg Popovich to come on down the stairs with his bid trade here, a word for our friends at BetUS. Go to betus.com.pa to fulfill your gambling needs. Enter my promo code AIRTIME at first deposit. That's A-I-R-T-I-M-E, and you will receive a 100% bonus. Okay, last but not least, this is what the Spurs came to the table with. Thaddeus Young, Lonnie Walker, and Devin Vassell, and two lottery-protected firsts for John Collins and Solomon Hill. Let's see what the horn has to say. Thaddeus Young is an expiring deal, and he's barely played this season. Devin Vassell is a very interesting rookie. Lonnie Walker, very interesting rookie. But it's the same problem I run into when you're talking about the trade for Malik Beasley. Where are they going to play? What is the ring, the wing rotation going to look like? TLC, Herder, Bogdanovich, Reddish, Hunter, Lou Will. Getting two more wings, young wings to be at that, more mouths to feed is not going to help that case at all. So believe it or not, I think John Collins is probably one of the more trade rumor guys I disagree with should not be in the trade rumors, is how I should put it. The Atlanta Hawks should not trade John Collins. Three no's. And there's a lot of youth here. Lonnie Walker, Devin Vassell, Malik Beasley. Elijah Hughes was a promising pick a lot of people liked out of the draft. All of them are no's. The Atlanta Hawks should not trade one of the top second options in this league. It would not be a good thing for anybody in the Hawks organization. It will piss Trey off. Clint Capello will want to go. DeAndre Hunter will wonder what 
what his role is moving forward. It's 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 going to stem problems for Atlanta. I, I thoroughly believe that. So do not, I repeat, do not do it, Atlanta. All right, last one. This is the most fun one. Last but not least, the third trade candidates. That's with an S, folks. We will play the prices right with is Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. That's right. The Philadelphia 76ers are willing to package Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons to get an all-star in return. We're talking about trading $68 million. We know that's not going to be easy, but we're going to try. Three trade destinations for Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris was the article. So without further ado, Sacramento, Los Angeles, and Portland. Come on down. Let's play prices right. We're going to start with Sacramento. Sacramento's been on here quite a bit, and that's because they have a lot of trade rumors circulating around that. And I mentioned that you could get off those older guys to build that young core. So for the first trade, Sacramento offers Harrison Barnes, Buddy Heald, and De'Aaron Fox. For Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Shake Milton, plus future protected, one future protected pick. Let's see what the horn thinks. That's right. I absolutely love this madness straight out of 2K trade. Absolutely love it. The Kings get to start fresh. They still have off night. They still have Halliburton. I mentioned that previously. But then you get to put them with Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, and Rashawn Holmes with Shake Milton off the bench. That team is going to be a fun team to watch in the future. Halliburton could play off Simmons. Off night starting to develop a three could probably play off Simmons. And all you have to worry about spacing issues is Holmes and Ben Simmons. I think it's still going to be a lot of fun to watch. That that team fits hand in glove. Simmons and off night are locking up. Halliburton and Harris shooting threes. Holmes locking down the rim, getting those boards. They can go small with Milton at the three, put... Harris at the four, Simmons at the five. They have a lot of different flexibility options with that. I love this trade for the Kings. And for the Sixers, I like it too. Fox, Heald, and Barnes are ready to be on a competitive team now. And that, they would all fit hand in glove playing off Embiid. Fox and Embiid pick and roll with Heald and Barnes in the corners waiting for uh, catch and shoot threes. It sounds like a match made in heaven. You could put Fox with Curry. You could put Fox with Maxi. Probably not. Those two play a similar style, but there's a the opportunities are endless. You have Danny Green. You have Maxi. You have Curry. You have Andre Drummond is still there. They are a deep team. They get three guys that are ready to compete now. Heald's a great shooter. Barnes is a proven winner with the Warriors, and De'Aaron Fox is ready to compete. I love that for the Sixers. I love it for the Kings. An absolute maniacal trade that kind of makes sense for both sides. So Harrison Barnes, Buddy Heald, and De'Aaron Fox, or Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Shake Milton, and a future first. Awesome trade for both sides. The Los Angeles Lakers make their first appearance here. And we're talking about $68 million dollars. One man makes close to 45. Russell Westbrook, Kendrick Nunn, and Taylor Horton Tucker for Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. What do we think about that? had to hit the horn three times I would use that no horn till the end of the episode if I didn't have anything else to talk about replacing Ben Simmons with Russell Westbrook is the worst potential move in NBA history Russell Westbrook would frustrate every Philly fan he'd get hit by garbage after he pulls up and airballs a three there'd be Philly fans throwing anything they could get their hands on at the court I think Philly would riot. I really do. But for the Lakers, it kind of makes sense. And that's why this proposed trade was brought to my attention. Simmons is a lockdown defender. And Harris can play off of that Simmons-LeBron. And and even then, it's still a little bit of a weird fit with Simmons and LeBron. The trade is an absolute mess. 
But money-wise, it works. It's one of the few trades where the money-wise works when you're talking about Russell Westbrook having that $45 million contract. Still hate it. Russell Westbrook, Kendrick Nunn, Taylor Horton Tucker for Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. I think Taylor Horton Tucker is probably the best piece that the Sixers are getting. Even then, still not a big fan of it. Hit the no horn one more time for me. Last but not least, the Trailblazers came down and offered up a whale of an offer. C.J. McCollum, Robert Covington, Larry Nance Jr., and cash considerations for Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. Is this one going to be the match made in heaven for the Sixers and Trailblazers? Let's see. I kind of love this trade for both sides. The emergence of Anthony Simons at the start of 2022 has been awesome. So I don't know if C.J. McCollum is needed as much as Trailblazers thought they would need him at this time of the season. Granted, he has some injuries that has led to more opportunity for Simons, so that's taken into consideration. But still, C.J. McCollum moving off him is not the worst thing in the world. You're switching up their number two, just like the Jalen Brown for Simmons trade pitched earlier. Damon C.J. haven't really amounted to a finals victory, amounted to a Western Conference finals victory even. They've gotten to the Western Conference finals, but they've gotten beat by the Warriors over and over and over again. So switch it up. Bring in Ben Simmons, bring in Tobias Harris. You're looking at some sort of Dame Simons or Dame Powell, Simmons, Harris, Nurkic. You have a lot of different routes you can go with that trade. And then when you're looking at the Sixers, CJ comes in, he takes the offensive load, him and Joel Embiid can play well together. CJ's played off of Dame, so playing off of Joel Embiid is not going to be too different in the fact that he's going to be looking to come off screens, get three-point shots just like he was with Dame. And, and Rocco and Nance come in, and they're not going to be as good defensively as Ben Simmons, but they're still defensive versatility up the yin-yang there, and those guys can shoot threes as well, which is better than what Ben Simmons had for the Sixers. Now, the Trailblazers... You're replacing C.J. McCollum's offense with Tobias Harris. Comparable, but I think C.J. is a better offensive player. But you're getting better. one of the best defenders in the league in Ben Simmons when he wants to be, and he's taking over the defensive importance of Rocco and Nance. So the slight upgrade, or the slight downgrade, excuse me, offensively, is covered up by the massive upgrade defensively. And when you look at the Sixers, they get the upgrade offensively. Uh, downgrade defensively I think it's all good in the world on both sides like I said 68 million dollars is a lot of money there are opportunities if the Sixers want to take them I think the Trailblazers probably have the best offer the Kings offer is very interesting but stay the hell away from Russell Westbrook please stay the hell away from Russell Westbrook anyways that was this week's edition of the NBA trade special price is right nothing but airtimes are in Up next, we're going to move to a completely different sport, and we're going to fix the MLB after the break. God, how do I love that horn? That horn is awesome. Anyway, I dipped the pen the other day off the ball network on Substack. Please go check it out. We do daily betting. You can enter your bets, track our bets, tell us when we fail, tell us when we're good, when we make you money, when you lose you money. I can't promise we're going to buy you dinner. But Off the Ball Network Substack has been where it's at recently. And I dipped the pen the other day on there. Much in part to the inspiration that the MLB lockout has given me. Clown Manfred has been doing an atrocious job at running what he wants to call Major League Baseball. So I have some changes I would like to see made before this lockout ends. Change number one. Rob Manfred, I'm going to need you to fix the local blackout restrictions. A lot of people are going cordless. Nobody really does cable TV anymore. Fire TV, Netflix, YouTube TV, MLB TV is the big one for baseball. A lot more people on MLB TV. People still want to watch their local game. Still want to watch the team they root for. I grew up in Chicago. People loved watching the Cubs. I grew up in Chicago. People loved watching the White Sox with Hawk. You can put it on the board. Yes. Uh, it's just a good Hawk impression there. But no, I grew up in Chicago. A lot of people liked watching the Cubs. A lot of people like watching the White Sox. When you have MLB TV, they black out your local games. Why? 
fix it, fix it now. Change number two. Up the MLB roster one more spot so every team has one singular knuckleball pitcher. Knuckleballs are fun. This is just a personal thing. People like seeing them. They don't have to pitch in every game, but just knowing you have the opportunity of going to a game, seeing one of those slick dancers live, or seeing one of those dancing balls come up on my Twitter timeline, it gets the juices flowing for me. Tim Wakefield, R.A. Dickey. There are pl- those, I mean, not too many successful knuckleballers. Those are the only two I really know. But Tim Wakefield and R.A. Dickey, when they were good, everybody loved watching them. So every team must have one singular knuckleball pitcher. Change number three. Implement a designated tackler. On fly balls, the designated tackler gets a chance to start from the dugout and try to tackle the fielder while he tries to catch it. If the tackler gets to the fielder and the ball falls, it's live in play. He doesn't have to hit. He's out there to tackle fielders only. You're talking about... The league's trying to get rid of launch angle. There's too many strikeouts. There's too many flyouts. I'm putting an emphasis on long launch angle. I want to see guys hit the ball 9 million feet in the air, and I want to see Khalil Mack come out for the Chicago Cubs and break somebody's shoulder. The second baseman. Just, I don't know, Placido Polanco is just getting his leg broke because Khalil Mack's running at him full speed as he's camping under a ball. I need to see it. Designated tackler. Change number three. Change number four. Home run animal trots. After home runs, the player gets to walk a reasonably sized animal around the bases. I need to see Christian Yelich walking his pet dog around the base paths. I want to see Jose Abreu's cat taking a dump on Wrigley's second base. Random home runs could cause another billy goat curse. All of this could happen with home run animal trots, Robbie. All of it could happen, Robbie Manfred. Come on. Listen to me. Change number five. Stop making pitchers hit. People are getting hurt. I remember Adam Wainwright towards Achilles, Miller Park, or American Family Insurance Park. I'm sorry. But nobody likes pitchers hitting. Why? Because nobody likes bunts. Nobody bunts anymore. Bunts is an out. And now I sound like Billy Bean from Moneyball. But a bunts an out. Nobody wants to see bunts. Nobody wants to see pitchers strike out 80% of the time. This is an easy fix. We saw the NLDH a couple years ago. I believe it was 2020. People loved it. And it, you know what else it gives? It gives guys like Nelson Cruz, J.D. Martinez, guys that aren't going to play in the field anymore, they could play on any team other than just an AL team. I want to see it. I want to see it. Change number six. Every team gets one designated steroids player. Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, all on roids. People loved watching those guys just hit massive dingers. People loved watching Roger Clemens throw gas. Now, we just need to get these guys to pump up safely. Safely, keyword, full of PEDs. Because, like, you're talking about the Yankees probably have Aaron Judge hitting the ball 747 feet, and Noah Syndergaard would be throwing the ball 98 and moving like a freaking wiffle ball. Or how about Shohei Otani getting to play on both sides of the ball, hitting the ball 100, 500 feet or whatever, and throwing that ball 98 and moving, throwing Ched. That only comes with one one legal designated roids guy. Change number seven. Use the field of dreams again. Use baseball movies more. They're using the field of dreams again, and it's awesome. I loved watching that game. But MLB could really lean into like baseball movie characters as well. You'd like Henry Rowan Gardner, Billy Sullivan from Little Big League, Rick Fawn, Willie Mays Hayes. Have them make cameos on screen. Have them make cameos on Twitter. Have them do intros to the game. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Endorse the team they acted for in the movies. It'll get more eyes on the game, good social media, and, and it'll get more people positive about what the MLB is doing. I have not seen much positivity about MLB in a long time. So bringing in that kind of cool aspect of Oh, hey, Henry Gardner threw out the first pitch of the Cubs and he threw it like he did in the movie. That's awesome. I need to see more of that. So use the field of dreams. Use those movie characters. Start getting positive buzz around the game. And of course, change number eight, something that always has negative buzz around the game, loosen the reins on the MLB Hall of Fame. This is probably the biggest argument for me, and I know I'm, many think I'm in the wrong. But Andrew Jones, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Roger Clemens, Billy Wagner, all not part of Cooperstown. And I'm not going to get on my high horse here. I, 
I believe players that have done PEDs have a spot in the league or in the MLB Hall of Fame. They have a spot in Cooperstown. When you're talking about the Hall of Fame, you're talking about could you write the story of baseball with these guys? Andrew Jones was the youngest player to hit a home run in the World Series. Barry Bonds is the all-time home run leader. Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were breaking home run records in the 90s. Roger Clemens has I don't know how many rings. Kurt Schilling has the bloody sock. Billy Wagner has saves records. All of them are part of Cooperstown. I don't care about PEDs. I don't care if they gambled. Pete Rose isn't in the Hall of Fame. The MLB turned a blind eye to PEDs in the 90s after that strike. They needed people eyes on the game. So what they do, they watch Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire. Those guys hit 75 homers a year. And everyone was getting excited about home run derbies and, oh, that ball's going to McCovey Cove. But we knew that Barry Bonds had back sits on back sits. But we didn't care. So why is it okay that we didn't care back then, but we care now? It's a contraband to have them in the Hall of Fame. And I'm not even talking about a guy like Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones, youngest player to hit a home run in the Hall of Fame. Go watch Andrew Jones' highlights. He is a one of the best center fielders of all time. Billy Wagner, go watch Billy Wagner highlights. One of the best closers of all time. Throwing cheddar from the left side before Roldis Chapman, before Andrew Miller, before all of those guys. Start getting people that like watching baseball to vote on the ballots. Fix it now. Now I know you're listening, Mr. Manfred. You're consistent listener of this show and you always email me your gripes that's why i did prices right you're just a huge bob barker fan but i expect you to put these in place soon mr manfred i need you maybe not the animal trot maybe not the steroids maybe not the designated tackler but local blackout restrictions pitchers not hitting field of dreams using movie characters and loosen the reins on MLB Hall of Fame voting. I can't see the same guy, right? Jeff Ken is the only Hall of Famer over and over and over again. The same guy that fills out nobody on the ballot over and over and over again. It is painful every single year, and it pisses people off every single year. So we need to fix it. We need to fix it now. After the break, a quick round of fictional basketball before we get into hump day hoopers and Wednesday W's to round out the show. All that after. We are back with fictional basketball after the Christmas fictional two-on-two basketball tournament was won by the Wet Bandits. And this past Friday, we had the battle of the downstairs region. We had Team Bush up against the Meat Team. Now, this rivalry has been dominated by Team Bush in the early to mid-70s, covering up the Meat Team with great D. But as time went on, more freedom came about, and the Meat Team is bigger and badder than ever. So up first, we are introducing the Meat Team. Running the offense at 5 foot 10, 165 pounds, we are looking at Rod Stewart. The shooting guard is at 5'5, 140 pounds, and is a friend, a cast member of Friends. She is Courtney Cox. At the wing, six foot two, 183 pounds, donning the bronze sports coat, John Shaft. The power forward is not that tall, but 15 foot long. It is an anaconda. And at the center, former vice president, Dick Cheney. But now, for your team, Bush, at point guard, standing at 5'7", 173 pounds from Friday Night Smackdown, he is Teddy Long. Shooting guard out of Hogwarts, at 5'5", 150 pounds, Harry Potter. That's a small forward, one of the three Stooges, 5'6", 177 pounds. Curly Howard, standing at 6'1", 182 pounds, manning the power forward position as the airport landing strip flagger. And the man in the middle, the 43rd president of the United States at 6 foot tall, 196 pounds, George W. Bush. What a matchup. What a matchup. And I've got some key positional battles I have my eyes on. And we're going to start with the point guard position. When you're looking at the battle between Long and Rod, we'll be have to, keeping our eyes off of it is going to be very hard. And if Rod ever gets the upper hand, he better be careful. Teddy Long's going to have him go one-on-one with The Undertaker. 
The Harry Cox matchup at the shooting guard position, that's one fans have been intrigued for a while to see if they've held up since the 70s. Harry Cox have not been around since the 70s, but they're coming back for this one time and one time only. The Team Bush meet Team Fictional Basketball Battle. And of course, the battle of the center position, the men in the middle between former president and vice president is going to be a fun one to monitor as well. Dick Cheney and George W. Bush. Now you can go at nothing but airtime, that's N-O-T-H-I-N. B T A I R T I M E. You can vote on the big man on the big fictional basketball matchup that we posted last Friday. Big time matchup. It'll be in our media. I might pin it so you guys can go check that out. Moving from fictional basketball to actual basketball, Mike, Mike, Mike. Guess what day it is, Mike, Mike. Guess what day it is. That's right, folks. Hope. Day and here are the five best hump day hoopers of the week. Starting number one, Anthony Simons. I do not believe anyone could have predicted Simons's average for the month. Simons' averages for the month of January: almost 28 points a game, eight assists, and he is shooting 51 percent from the field and 45 percent from three. Taking a huge step forward. It probably is going to be a reason why Portland ends up moving off of one of Dame or CJ, maybe even both. So shout out Anthony Simons, hump day hooper number one. Number two, Desmond Bain said he was going to take it personally after the Celtics traded him on draft night. On draft night. Safe to say he has. While Memphis is on their nine-game win streak, Bain has averaged 20 points a game on 48% from behind the arc. Celtics couldn't use that guy. Add in his five rebounds of the game, and the Grizzlies have found yet another solid running mate on the wing for John Moran, even after injuries to guys like Dylan Brooks and DeAnthony Melton. Desmond Bain making the Celtics miss him. Number two, hump day hooper. Number three, talking about the Celtics, Robert Williams. Even in the mediocrity that has been the Celtics, they have found their future guy. Williams is their starting center of the future. Last 10 games, averaging a double-double, 11 points, 10 rebounds, 78% shooting, and three and a half blocks per game. Book him in as the number three hump day hooper. Number four, Pascal Siakam. Now, I went, caught a game live. I watched the Raptors and the Bucks. no Giannis Antetokounmpo. Pascal Siakam lit them up. He dropped 33 on their heads. Followed that up with 29 four days later. He's smoking hot, averaging 24 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists over his last 10 games, and doing so efficiently. 50% shooting. Just off the ball hot. He is not missing anything right now. Big reason why the Raptors have climbed back into the playoff race. So shout out Siakam Hump Day Hooper number 4. And number 5, you didn't think we'd forget, did you? The man is back. 17 points in his first game after 941 days and starting again here tonight as we record. It's wonderful to see Klay Thompson back on a basketball court. Most of my early memories watching the NBA come from watching late games with Pops when he'd get home from work. It was the Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Clippers. It was the Golden State Warriors, the Phoenix Suns. It was the Golden State Warriors, Los Angeles Lakers. Once Mark Jackson got going there, we used to watch him quite a bit. Klay Thompson was a guy I drew a liking to. Clay Thompson is not going to be the biggest difference maker for the Golden State Warriors. That being said, I love watching him back on a basketball court. It make it's going to make things easier for Steph. It's going to make easier things easier for Draymond. Defenders will have to worry about Clay Thompson when he's on the basketball court. Now he's not going to put up the big numbers that Clay did a couple years ago. I don't if he does, great, but I don't see that happening. It's the threat of Clay that's going to loom. It's the threat that he could take three dribbles and have 45 points. Now, teams might catch on that he might not. He just needs to have a, a couple big games, keep that threat looming coming into the playoffs. And I think the Warriors will be okay. You know what? Honorable mention to Steph Curry for Hump Day Hoopers. Recognizing the moment. An off the court thing. Clay Thompson's first game back. Steph walked out with, I believe it was Draymond Green. Shout out Draymond Green for playing seven seconds of the game just so we could say he started the game. Clay Thompson was back. But Steph walked out with Draymond Green in the starting lineups so Clay Thompson could have his moment. You're talking about 941 days away from a game. 941 days away. I can't imagine 
getting back to doing something you absolutely love after 941 days and Steph Curry allowing him to have his moment. That's brotherhood right there, folks. Shout out Steph Curry. Shout out Draymond Green. Shout out Klay Thompson for being the fifth hump day hooper. So going through the hump day hoopers one more time. Anthony Simons, Desmond Bain, Robert Williams, Pascal Siakam, and Klay Thompson with honorable mentions of Steph Curry and Draymond Green. Klay Thompson is going to bring me into my Wednesday W's. My biggest W of the week is going to go to Klay Thompson for all of the same reasons said before. Awesome to see him back on a basketball court. But I have some other W's as well. Figured it was time to find some positive in the world after multiple Hater Wednesdays. Now, Hater Wednesdays will come back. I'm going to allow you guys. So DM me, message me on Reddit, message me on Facebook, and maybe even leave a, I'll leave a voicemail. I'll create a number. You guys can leave a voicemail. I'll play them on the show of Hater Wednesdays. That'll be a future project, but you guys can tell me what you're hating on in the future. But for right now, we're showing some love in the world. We're finding some positive in the world. W's of the week, Wednesday W's. And I'm going to give a W to Snoop Dogg. He's starting his career in the hot dog business. So be on the lookout for Snoop Dogg's, the D-O-double-G's. That man has completed all of life's missions. He was a singer. He's been on roasts. He's been wrestled. He's been on WrestleMania, he's been on AEW, he's been an NBA guy, he's been around everywhere. Now he's doing a hot dog business, so shout out Snoop Dogg. I give a W to the King Lord Emperor of the Dads. He rules all the dad joke realm now. He walked up, pressed a member of the press's jacket that just said press on the back. Wonderful humor. If you have not watched it, just Twitter search King Lord Emperor of the Dads. I give a W to the boys. They gave a season three premiere date. And I'll be, I have no idea where this could go. The end of season two felt like it was kind of a all-encompassing finish. I'm going to be entertained watching it. I'm, I'm excited for season three to come out. So give a W to the boys. I give a W to the father of Equinamius St. Brown and Amash Ra St. Brown. Equinamius of the Packers, Amon of the Lions. Packers and Lions played this year, or this weekend, excuse me. John Brown, which is a very... Simple name for two kids that are named Amon and Equinamius. Him and his lovely wife stitched together the two jerseys to support both. So she was in, I believe it was a Lions chest plate and Packers sleeves. And he was in a Packers chest plate and Lions sleeves supporting the kids no matter where they're at. That's awesome. I give a W for the Giants firing Joe Judge. Shocked it took them this long. Having grown men run laps is absurdity. I give a retroactive W to Stacy's mom. She had no business being that hot. I give a W to the movie Longest Yard for being downright awesome, and it's on Netflix. Also be on the lookout for Off the Ball Network's movie podcast where we'll be breaking that down. Very excited for that. I give a W to the first Pitch Perfect riff-off because it is an Cinematic excellence. One of the best scenes in movies I've ever seen. I give a W to both Clay Matthews and Pitch Perfect for doing a riff-off together. I give a W for John Morant for grabbing that shot with two hands halfway up the backboard. One of the damnedest things I've ever seen. And once again, I give another W to Clay Thompson for dunking on someone in his return. And last but not least, a W to all of you for listening, following, whatever, my content thankful for all of you. Happy hump day, folks. I will see you next week on nothing but airtime.